Hey everyone, <laughs> this is the first time I'm using the uh, StreamYard, and uh, I clicked the button and it literally uh, just went live. So that was pretty cool, uh, different than what I've experienced uh, with the um, the OBS software. So what are we doing? It's uh, Know Your Gear Live <laughs> on Friday at three o'clock. And uh, for anyone new coming or watching this on the replay, keep in mind that I take all the questions that we ask, even the highlighted questions, and I index them down below. So you can go right to them by just clicking on the timestamp. So that's uh, that's a great way to get just right to the question you're interested in. Also, if you uh, don't want to watch this, you want to listen to it, it's also on... Um, you know, Spotify and iTunes and SoundCloud as a podcast. And it's a, uh, it's actually listened to more as a podcast than a live show. So you have your choice. <laughs> you can stare at the cool guitars behind me, or you can listen to my voice. It's up to you. Uh, what do we got going on? Well, uh, it was a crazy week, <laughs> especially since I spent halfway, half a Monday, uh, taking a very long nap in the middle of the day. Um, because we did the amp class like last weekend. Uh, I talked about this on Friday, last Friday, when my Cox cable crashed and we redid the broadcast on Saturday uh, right before I went to the, the class. I want to thank everyone who joined me for the class. There was a ton of patrons. In fact, it was definitely a it was our class because let's let's be fair. There was 21 of us in the class and I'm pretty sure. 60% uh, of us were from the New York Gear community as viewers or patrons. And so it was great. Um, we had a good time. I'm going to be careful about what I say about the class because there is a full review of the video uh, uh, video of the class and the amp build and the whole nine yards. And I don't want to give away the secrets of what might be in that video because then you may not watch it. But uh, I want to do say first, AJ and Steve uh, and Steve uh, and uh, were amazing. The Everybody at the class was was so fun. Uh, Mojo Tones class was super, super impressive. So if you're thinking about going to the one in November in Nashville, if you're there, definitely do it. I don't know how many slots are left, but if there's one, you should probably, you should probably go because I can, I can recommend it highly. Um, the other thing I want to say is that it was great seeing everyone from the channel in person and hanging out with you guys. Um, and uh, for those of you, which was the majority of you that were crazy enough to join us after the class for drinks, uh, it was fun. Uh, although that's why I needed a nap on Monday. It was the, you know, it was the day and then drinking and having fun. We were responsible, but still it was, it was late nights. It was fun. Okay. So uh, I'm sure you guys are putting comments that I need to get to, but I just want to give you an update on all that stuff. And like I said, thank you again to Mojo Tone. The, uh, the class was was super fun. And that was definitely the general consensus of everybody that was there. Um, so let's dive into some questions real quick. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm laughing already. Um, let's see if I can find one real quick. Uh, Bobby, you says this is his first live stream. Awesome. Hey, the super fun, awesome, happy uh, time pedal show. Dude, even reading it, I couldn't get it right. Uh, the super fun, awesome, awesome with an H, awesome. You're now the super fun, awesome. This is never going to work. Super fun, awesome, happy time. It's because it should be happy pedal time. I don't understand why it's happy time pedal show. It should be happy pedal time show because I'm having a pedal time. I don't know. Anyways, thank you for joining us. It's a great channel. You guys should check it out. Uh, and uh, and a great guy. So um what do we got going on i know i saw some super chats but i'm trying to hit a non-super chat first and hold on 
Uh, Eric, okay, so this is still on subject, so we'll start with this. Eric says, was it a 5e3 amp? Yes, it was. It was the 5e3 circuit amp. And uh, some of the impressive things about the amp, I, I told you guys that I really, uh, after talking to Mojo Tone, got a sense that they weren't marketing this the way I thought, you know, it should be pushed out there. I mean, they were, what I mean is they market it kind of humbly. Uh, in other words, I don't think they try to oversell anything that's happening there. And um, so that being said, not only is it 5 3 but it was a really, really quality build. Um, the transformers are made in the USA. The uh, cabinetry was all made by Mojotone in the USA. Very, very high quality cabinetry. Um, very good components. I mean, it's basically like you're getting the $2,000 Fender amp. And now when I say that, I just wanted to caveat that I, when I said that in front of Mojotone, they were like, well, the, the Fender one's got some slight differences. And they were, again, very humble. But I'm telling you, uh, we were blown away by the amp. So it was a 5e3 uh, Fender Deluxe and a Tweed Deluxe. Fantastic project for sure. Okay, um, now let's jump over to a super chat or two and see what's going on there. And uh, the I'm going to do them out of order, but that's okay. I'm going to skip them as I go, as I see them. Jonathan says, hey, Phil, first time being able to catch the show live. What would you recommend for a first tube amp just for a bedroom player? That's a tough one always, Jonathan, because this is a question you get a lot, you know, right? 130-something podcasts, and that question's come up so many times. And it's always because it's missing the element of what style of music do you like to play and what do you like? And depending on what do you mean by first tube amp, do you want it to be a traditional real tube amp? Um, but I'm going to give you some suggestions. And I think uh, what's great about this is maybe in the comments when this replays, people could give you some of their suggestions as well. I'm going to I'm going to assume that since it's your first tube amp, you're going to want to keep the 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 budget under control. I like this Defender Super Champ XT X2. Sorry. Uh, that's a great tube amp. It's one of my favorite ones for the price point. It's hard to beat. It has a lot of good distortions, uh, a lot of good tones. You can get some really good sounds out. It has effects and it is tube. So it is kind of cool to get that way. Um, of course, another great tube amp series for sure is Blackstar. Blackstar is an amp that's really inexpensive and, uh, and really good. In my opinion, I think they do a really good job, especially in the lower price points. Everybody knows her. I don't know if everybody knows, everybody who watches the channel for any length time knows I'm a real big fan of the Blackstar 1 watt. The Another hidden gem, if you're not looking for new, a hidden gem of great tube amps. Obviously, old PV tube amps are great. You know, sometimes you can find some bedroom size tube amps that are, that are awesome, like the classic 30 head or combo. But uh, another cool one is, don't forget Jet City. Jet City is another amp you should check into. Another amp that when you pick up, you know, very, very, very modestly priced used, um, very inexpensive, and... Uh, you know, you pick it up short money and get good deals on it, and they sound pretty good. Those are all pretty good tube amps. Now, of course, in the small tube amp realm of first amps, I mean, there's going to be all the boutique stuff as well. But you're saying first tube amp. I just don't know if you want to go all in on this thing, how crazy you want to be for your first tube amp. Uh, the other thing, Jonathan, this is going to sound kind of boring, uh, especially since, you know, it's a question on a gear channel. I really like Fender amps, and I always recommend them. They take pedals well. They're relatively inexpensively priced. They handle, they they hold up well. They're good amps. So, like a Fender Blues Junior or a Fender uh, Princeton, or you know stuff like that, are always kind of fun amps to have. Uh, because reason why I suggest them is that later, if you decide you want a different sounding amp or a different type of amplifier, that's an amp that can serve you well as just being the Fender sound. Having a Fender amp around. In the you know in as your first amp when you go to get your second amp you don't necessarily have to sell this off and then get another amp you can keep this one as your fender tone and go for something maybe more specific to what you want uh shawnee is a cubs fan says hey phil what do you think of the gibson flying 
Gibson flying of the Gibson flying. <laughs> Hold on. I'm thinking of pulling the trigger. He's got to mean the flying V. Uh, I'm thinking of pulling the trigger on one at a pawn shop near me. Cheers from Chicago. The Gibson flying V is I, uh, I, I'm going to tell you a funny story just cause I'm, I'm old. And when you're old, you got, uh, cool stories hopefully hopefully sometimes bad stories this one's a you decide how the story goes uh when i was uh 16 <laughs> and wanted a shredder looking guitar more than anything because i had a fakey uh jb player looking strat a buddy of mine said hey a friend of mine said hey i have this guitar i don't use it you can have it it's just really you know metal looking and i'm like yes yes and he gave me a Gibson Flying V. And I was so depressed when he gave it to me because I was like, this thing looks like your dad would play this V. And it just was not cool. Keep in mind, I'm 16. Come on, guys. Give me give me some break. Anyways, long story short, it was an American Gibson V. <laughs> and I sold it for like 100 bucks to another friend uh, to get what I wanted because after, a, I think I had it for about 70 months. But yeah, so yeah, it sucks because it was a it was a cool it was like a seventies era Gibson Flying V that I sold off and we didn't know none of us knew so you know I have the same story unfortunately when I was like seventeen or eighteen uh, about a fin uh, an Ibanez Tube Screamer uh, one of the first ones somebody gave me one I plugged it in front of my Randall amp and it I was like this doesn't have any distortion at all and then I gave that away <laughs> Just, so anyways. Um, so my point is, uh, that was my Gibson, my first Gibson V. I've always wanted, believe it or not, I don't want a Gibson V. I want an Epiphone Carina V in white. That's something I've been wanting for a while. Um, there, the rea the reason is, is I, 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 I just love white Gibson Vs, and I don't really need a Gibson one because I like the headstock. Uh, is the Epiphone headstock? The Epiphone headstock is the same as the Gibson headstock. So to me, it's the same. Um, I mean, I'm, it's not a guitar I would play all the time. It's just something I'd pick up and play sometimes. I had one once come on trade in a white Epiphone Karina V, and it came in on trade. And when you take stuff on trade, it has to go what's called through pond clearance, uh, where it has to sit uh, for like 14 days. I think in NY, I live now, it's 21 days, but it was 14 days, so two weeks. So you could sell it. They just can't take it. And what happened was I put it on the wall thinking, ah, you know what? It's on pond clearance. No one's going to buy it yet. And somebody came in literally right then and bought it. And uh, I was really bummed I didn't get it. And uh, I haven't seen one since uh, not come up, you know, near me. So uh, should you get the V? Yeah, well, you know, the policy on the channel is if you ask us if you should get a guitar or ask me if you should get a guitar, the answer is always yes. So that's my long way of saying yes. <laughs> there you go. Scar my guitar. Uh, Sean at Scar my guitar is sick, man. He's got the flu, I think, or he's uh, whatever it is, maybe stomach. Who knows? I know it's going around. Uh, it says, can you find a diagram for some bare knuckles? I don't think you're going to need a diagram for bare knuckles. Um, I have installed a lot of bare knuckles. In fact, I have a couple sets of bare knuckles downstairs. And um, there's nothing in their wiring that should be dramatically different. The only pickup that usually throws people for a loop, Paul Reed Smith pickups tend to uh, confuse people because instead of using uh, four wires, he'll use three, which is actually common in other pickups, but not in the mainstream pickups. The Seymour Duncan guys are the only ones that throw you for a loop. Um, I can tell you this, if you, if your first wiring experiences were Seymour Duncan, which is a lot of us, because, you know, they were the first aftermarket pickups that a lot of us got, you either got DiMaggio or Seymour Duncan. And what happened with Seymour Duncan is Seymour Duncan's are 
weird because their color coding is different than most of the guitar manufacturers. And uh, so, but bare knuckles, the wiring schematic should be pretty easy. If not, let me know, Sean. Um, I have so many in my little database. Uh, I have them in a folder printed and then I have them in a, like a hard drive database just over the years of just every time you, you found one. I learned the hard way. You can go on the internet and find any schematic, but sometimes you can only find it once. In other words, you found it and you do the guitar, you do the job, and then a year later, you're like, I'll go, go to find it. And for some reason, it's moved or it's not there. And when you're searching, you can't find it. So I tend to print them or save and screenshot them and put them in, in folders. Uh, let's go to so, a non-super chat question. And... So hold on. Um, Grumpy Mike says hello to everyone. Hello. I figure that just as I'm reading through real fast. <laughs> so David wants to know. I I got. So David wants to know. Hey Phil, uh, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, buddy. Uh, good to see you. What's your favorite gig bag? My uh my favorite gig bag is uh is this one. I'm gonna show it to you. It should be yeah. I was going to say, I should have one in shot. There's probably a guitar in this. So I'm going to take the guitar out real quick. There was a guitar in it. A really nice guitar. <laughs> okay. Let's put that where it's safe. Okay. So this is the gig bag that I use on 99% of my guitars. <laughs> right here. Uh, if it looks like a Fender gig bag, it is. If it looks like it's red and black, it is. If it looks like it has Hank Baby Helmstein's signature on it, it does. And if it looks like the inside is tacky uh, cheetah print, uh, it is. <laughs> uh, this is uh, this is a story. You guys always ask me to tell stories from the store, and I say sometimes I won't talk about the customers, but this is a story I will tell you. Um, this gig bag with this crazy circle pouch. Whoops, let me get in camera. And uh, red and reflective. This is all this that looks like white. Probably is actually reflective. This glows. Um, so a lot of Fender logos. So what's the deal with the red gig bags? Here's the story. It goes like this. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, because whether you realize it or not, sometimes if you have a business, some people think that if you own the business, uh, everything in the business is yours. And that's kind of true. You're right. It is kind of true. But technically, there's a lot of ways that your accounting and legal stuff has to be done. And so um, what happened in the, in the shop was sometimes I'd want to buy a guitar. And I would, let's say, let's for this story, we'll say the Simon is behind me right there. Let's say I wanted to buy that in my store. Well, I had to buy it. I personally, if I want it personally, I have to buy it from my shop and my shop owns it. I know I own the shop, but you have to, you have to buy it. Well, what happened was um, I get paid once a month. <laughs> That's how I used to pay myself. I, I drew a salary once a month. So uh, I sometimes would want to buy something, but I didn't have the money for it. So I'd wait till payday. Everybody kind of understands that. And because of kind of, you know, one of the owners owned the place, I would just put it on hold until I was ready to, to buy it. And so what would happen was I'd put a guitar on hold. And a lot of times what I do is I put in a gig bag and put it in my area because I had a shop in my area. And this is a very long way to tell you guys that a couple times over the years, people sold my guitars. <laughs> right. So somebody would come in and be like, hey, do you have one of those Ibanez blah, blahs? And they would say yes, and they would sell the guitar, and I would come the next day and I'd be like, what happened to my guitar? And they'd be like, we sold it. And actually, so you know, one day it actually, what happened was I actually bought a guitar. I owned it for six, seven months, and what happened was it was an amazing guitar, um, and it was a limited run, and 
of course i left it in a gig bag somebody came and asked if we had one and then my wife was like oh yeah i think we do but it's in the backs for some reason and she went in the back and she pulled it out she saw it was in the inventory system but showing that it was out but she thought maybe we messed up and didn't type it you know take it out of inventory so she sold it to the guy so long story short i was determined to find a gig bag that if there <laughs> which is this is it i figured if somebody saw a guitar in this red gig bag with this cheetah print inside uh they would know that this is not for sale and so i bought uh i don't know how many of these i own uh, a, a bunch a lot and one for all my guitars and so all my guitars go in these gig bags uh now it doesn't make sense but i bought them a long time ago and um, the only reason that story is funny is I bought them from Fender because uh, I told Fender I was looking for some gig bags, something different. And my Fender rep goes, hey, we have these Bay bags that it's not selling. And they blew them out to me for dirt cheap. So I don't know why people didn't want a ring red Yngwie bag with cheetah print inside or leopard print or whatever that is. Um, but uh, now I have them. And let me tell you, all my friends know this. If you see that bag, you know, it's my guitar. And uh, that's what I use. Uh, that's a long story to tell you that I'm just telling you that I'm not buying it for the quality. I'm buying it for that reason. Um, okay. <laughs> that's a long answer to a question. You're probably sorry you asked it now. <laughs> you know, I wait, I got to show you this. I got to show you the funny part. The funny part is not that it's a red Yngwie bag with this interior. The funny part to me is this, this pocket. This way. If you notice the pocket is a circle, Ingve did that because guitar cables, when you roll them in a roll them up, they're in a circle. It's designed so that your guitar cable goes in there perfectly, like it's supposed to. I actually thought that was a good idea. <laughs> so you know, I thought that was cool. And then uh, this is designed. This pouch right here is designed to hold a pedal. So I thought that was cool. So there you go. So if you ever see a red bag. Um, you know, funny, uh, on a side note, too, by the way, I was telling uh, Pete Thorne that story in Germany, and he said, you absolutely need to do a video about that. Because <laughs> I was making the joke. I said, you think Yngwie was like, we need a gig bag, but it must be Ferrari red. And I, my understanding is this material, this internal material right here, this, this is what he uses on his car seats in his Ferrari. So that's what I understand. Okay. Yeah, you guys are like, move on. Yeah, see, who Sean says, who wouldn't want a Malmsteen bag? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I gotta be, I gotta be honest. I love everybody's reaction to it now. Every time they see my bag, when I open up and they see, anytime they see that interior, they go, whoa. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna get car seats made of that too. I should do that. <laughs> That'd be cool. Put that in the truck. It'd be great. Um, let's see. Um... <laughs> Eddie says, very happy Know Your Beer weekend. Yes, we should start a Know Your Beer channel. I just think it will end badly. <laughs> uh, Tony Gorborn says, uh, beer lush slush fund for the weekend. Man, guys, I'm you know what's funny? I told you guys I drink more coffee than anything else. I'm drinking coffee right now. I, uh, you guys, um, I'm going to have to in increase the amount of drinking. Although last weekend was great. The we went to a microbrewery that was fantastic. Um. This, the sign-on is Crate Don't Take Nothing From Nobody. But it's Crate with a K. All right, Crate. Good for you. Don't take any crap from anybody. Um, what is the best super high-gain lunchbox, in my opinion? Uh, the, the LBX. 
that that will be tough because I really like the Tremani. Don't get me wrong. I like the Tremani. I like, um, I mean, Lunchbox, you know, I like the Kraken. You know, I had Kraken, although I, I, guys, some of you guys know this. I had two Krakens and they both went bad. Um, but I still love that amp. It just went bad. Um, and, uh, you know, had an issue. I think it was a defective run is my understanding, um, which is why I had two in a row that were not working. Um, so high gain Lunchbox amps. I mean, obviously, Ingle makes some. Mesa Boogie, I have the Mark V Mini. But if somebody asked me, like, what's my favorite of all of them? It, favorite, I'm assuming sound. It's the lunchbox. It's the it's the LBX. I don't know why. I just like the um, the Eddie Van Halen one. It sounded fantastic, and it really kind of rips. It tears it tears it up. Uh, like I said, I, I got Freeman lunchboxes and stuff. I would say uh, the the LBX uh, for me, and everybody's gonna have a different opinion, of course. But uh, for me, the first LBX sounded so good. Uh, it was perfect. I just wish I had a clean channel. When the second one came out with a clean channel, I immediately bought that. That's why I did a video of that. But I didn't like the gain channel as much. Um, so it wasn't bad. It just, you know, it's that moment where you're like, man, the first one's out just a little bit more, a little bit more something going on, a little magic. And uh, so I, I, I fought it out back and forth, which one I was going to keep. And really what happened is it gave me uh, option paralysis. It, it made me like, okay, do I want the one with the gain channel? I don't like as much with clean because I like clean to have that option or do I want the one? So really what happened is I got rid of both. I kind of regret it. I wish I kept the LBX, the first one. I, I, I have to say, I really miss that amp. It sounded so good. Every time I plugged into it, I liked it, I think more than my Archon. So but my, again, Archon was, had a clean channel. You know, it's more practical, but the LBX, man, just great amp. I think you, if you were in a rock metal band and you didn't need a clean channel that much, uh, yeah, I could use that anywhere. Okay, Andrew Moore's got a tough question. It says, small crack in the maple neck. Do I need to repair it? I'm going to say yes. You should always repair cracks in instruments. Um, now, there's going to be an exception, which is vintage instruments. You need to then consult somebody that's an expert in vintage instruments because repairing vintage instruments is a different world, right, of when it needs to be done, why it needs to be done. But with instruments that either A, aren't vintage, or B, probably not going to become vintage, you want to go ahead and fix the crack. Um, so, yes, uh, Andrew. And um, and the main reason is, is because a crack is going to continue to get worse. Think about this. You're using an instrument that's vibrating, it's moving, it's going to uh, agitate the the damage in other words the crack won't it's not sitting still um and also you gotta understand as it cracks open another thing that happens is uh air gets in there you know air gets in there and dries out the the crack from the inside too and so that of course creates more shrinkage and more problems so definitely want to correct that um i ha i can't i don't know where the crack is in the neck and what you're you're talking about, but I will tell you this in most of the cracks that I deal with on a maple neck, the repair would re uh, involve just some uh, Elmer's wood glue. So this is a very easy process to clamp or uh, glue and clamp. Um, I don't mean just randomly do that again. I'm not looking at the repair you need, but I will tell you that most luthiers are going to repair your crack with that type of tight bond glue and uh, a clamp of some sort. It's not, uh, it's not rocket science, so to speak. Um, it just depends on where the crack is and how delicate it is. In some cases, you could really use some really liquefied super glue, but that is not something I would use. I mean, that's like a 0 .00, you know, 0.001% of the time. I even think about doing that, and I'd have to see it where it is if it's something that's just hard to get to or small. But there you go. Just to, So the answer is yes. Uh, and um, 
and go from there. Uh, let's go over to the non super chat question, guys. There's 650 of us, so let's try to find some stuff that's uh, out there. Let's see. Um, okay, what else? I'm just scanning for questions, guys. You know what we should do? Here's a great idea. Because you guys are talking back and forth and stuff. Maybe we should start all questions with a question mark. So if you have a question, from now on, we'll make that the new policy. And I'll start announcing at the beginning of every show. So when you ask a question on a non-super chat, just go ahead and start the question with a question mark. Um, because when I'm scanning, I'll be able to identify that faster. Because that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just scanning through them. And I, I like to answer more questions. It's just sometimes I'm reading a lot of conversations back and forth. And I don't want that to stop. Um, there are, there are hundreds of you, uh, uh, you know, that look forward to hanging out with each other every week. And I actually enjoy getting to scan that stuff either now or later. So from now on, we'll do it that way. We start our questions with the question mark here on the channel. That's the new official policy. Um, Andy tip says 0.22, uh, uh, microfarad, uh, versus 0.47 orange drop capacitor. Um, it depends on the guitar for me. I'm always going to follow like the, uh, 0.47 is, uh, let's see, what do I do? <laughs> Say that out loud and I can't remember. 0.22 is usually what I use for single coils. 0.47 usually for humbuckers. Although I do sometimes mix those up. Um, what's great is they're so inexpensive. Uh, and I would follow, I follow that rule generally, you know, 0.22 for, for, uh, single coils 0.47 for humbuckers. But like, for instance, if you have a mix like HSS or, or a mix of, you know, single coils and humbuckers where it's HSH or something like that, um, mix them up, try them both. You know what I mean? It's easy. It's fast. It's, it's an easy thing to try out and do. And, uh, so you could try them both. Um, there's no reason not to have that. So, <laughs> China guitar skeptic says, can you hear the bells, man? Since Germany, I've been hearing nothing but bells in my head ever since. <laughs> it was, it's good seeing you. <laughs> I kind of, I can't wait till the next time we get to hang out. Hopefully you'll come to Nam this year. I know it's far trip, but maybe you'll do it. Um, okay. Uh, uh, I, uh, lyric, lyric bread says, Hey, Phil, any chance you'll do any more bass videos in the near future? Yeah. You know, did you see the one I just did with Marty Schwartz where on his channel, I taught er, uh, him how to play slap bass on the video. That video, I think I said this before. I can't remember if this is what we were talking about when the internet went down last week. That was one of the funnest videos I've ever watched, uh, that I'm in. I was watching it and, um, and you know, sometimes when I, you know, you watch a video, you cringe and you're like, ah, you know, and, but that video, when I was watching it, it was really cool. Cause I was like, I never thought, you know, I don't know. It seems like Marty, cause he's such a professional guitar teacher in, in that, in that realm as a, as a video person. Um, I feel like I learned so much from him just being around him and any, and, and it really made that a better experience video. Maybe I, I understand a little bit why I would, how I would approach more of a, a bass type video, but yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, so the answer is yes. Let's start with that. That will make that easy. Uh, let's go back over here to a, a top chat question. Um, if I don't lose my voice. Okay. Neil's got a question. He says, Hey Phil, if you had to choose between the new, I've been 61 AL Axion a Fender Strat American Pro or a 2014 Ibanez Gem in mint and you enjoyed playing them all, what would you go for and why? Cheers. 
Uh, this is so I hate these. I, I don't hate the question. I love the question, buddy, but I hate that I'm going to give you this boring answer. I'm such a strat person that I would always pick the strat of a, th of a guitar. Uh, you know, I my thing is like behind me, my blue strat and my copper strats over here on this side on my, whatever on my left shoulder. And, um, I'm a strat guy. This is something I've talked about many times over. Uh, the Ibanez, uh, uh, the guitars, Ibanez guitars, of course, I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of the Music Man behind me, of the John Muir Silver Sky that's above me, that Charvel. Essentially, they're all variations of the Fender Strat. I like them for all reasons, but for some reason, I'm always drawn back to the Fender Strat. I just like the shape of the neck. The American Professional Series, for some reason, is my favorite Strat. I like the slightly, just slightly chunkier neck than they did on the stand than the standard. I like everything about the guitar. I like the push in tremolo arm. Um, so that's the guitar I like. I like the fact that it holds value that I feel like I, I, I made a, a purchase that is, you know, is going to be a, a long time standing. Um, there's just something about it. I, I, I like the fact that if they get damaged, they look okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So as you beat them up and play them. So that's the one I would pick. I have an Ibanez gym. I really like it. I never play it. I, I just, you know, I just don't. The uh, 61 ALX on is amazing guitar, but it's definitely a guitar uh, for something else to have something else in your collection of guitars, you know, or, or maybe if you're recording or something different, but definitely the Strat. Uh, Steve Long says, Hey, Phil, I have two old pickups that need repaired. Any recommendations? Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, I you didn't say what type of pickups. So you say two old pickups. This gets a little tricky. So I don't know if they're vintage, old, like they're, if they're value, like old Gibson pickups. Um, you can send them to have them be rewound. Uh, it, it is a very common practice. There are tons of people. In fact, there's probably at least a half a dozen professional winders, you know, people who wind pickups in your area or your state or wherever you live. They, they seem to be everywhere I go, I bump into them. Um, so it can be uh, done. If they're not expensive pickups, uh, you could try and see about rewinding them yourself. Um, I wind pickups, uh, my own pickups. When I have to rewind them, I rewind them. Um, and uh, it's not a it's not a difficult process. It's basically one wire, <laughs> right? It's, it's got to start an endpoint, and just you just go. Um, there's there's some finesse to it. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be as easy as you figured out. But it's something that maybe if you're thinking about doing that, you may have the opportunity right now to try it. But otherwise, if it's something that matters to you and you just want to do it and have it as a service, uh, yeah, there's tons of companies that. And so, you know, some of the original companies, like so if you do have Gibsons or Fenders or whatever, some some companies will rewind those pickups for you. Um, but there's a ton of services. If you can't find anybody, Steve, uh, let me know. You can send it to ask uh, know your gear at Gmail and uh I can forward it to to some of my buddies in wherever you are that uh, that wine pickups because I got a I got a few. <laughs> okay, Greg uh, Keen says, "Hey Phil, first time live. Congrat! Oh, okay, I'm reading ahead. Uh, first time live. Awesome. Uh, happy to be here. What do you think of the hype around the Black Star Silver line? Uh, not on my list, but curious on your thoughts." All I unfortunately know about Black Star, this is funny. It's like the third time Black Star has come out this week with me. Uh, Black Star Silverline, I know only what the advertisements are. Um, where I live, physically, it's a wasteland for Black Star. They don't exist. In fact, here's the weird thing about Black Star. This is the conversation I had with somebody this week. I really like their product. I used to be a dealer for them, and we sold a lot of them, and I liked, I liked everything we sold. The majority of what we sold back then 
doesn't exist anymore in their lineup. It's very few. They have a new line of stuff. And sadly enough, I've been to, this is what I was telling my buddy this week. I've been to like 50 music stores in the, in the, well, I'd say in the country, but outside the country too. I've been to like 50 music stores this year and none of them had Blackstar to check out. <laughs> so it's weird. It's weird. So I don't know where you, you get Blackstar to check it out. So that's, that's the only reason. Otherwise, you know, I love Blackstar. Like I said, great stuff for the money. It's cool. Um, but I haven't experienced that line at all. I know nothing about them. So maybe, uh, maybe at NAMM show this year, I could put that on the list of things I want to check out. <laughs> Bill says live show. Uh, love the show. Beer, uh, beer for Phil. Oh my goodness. You guys are so funny. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. And, uh, let's see Reggie. Hey, Reggie says, Hey Phil, um, whose guitar rig do you find the most interesting? My choice is Steve Lukather and Paul Gilbert. Ooh, that's a, that's an interesting question. Whose rig do I find the most interesting? Um, you know, I'm not into, it's funny cause you know, being a, a, a channel where I'm associated with know your gear and gear and obviously having gear, <laughs> you'd think I'd like complicated rigs, but I like everything really simplistic. So I like seeing the complicated rigs, but, um, uh, and I do find them interesting. I'm trying to think of the, the rig that I found. You know, I, I don't know. You know who, you know what it is? It's not a person. I'll tell you what rigs I find interesting now. And, and that's probably the, the better way to look at it. I'm constantly interested in all these rigs now where they're having to hide the cabinetry. In other words, put the cabinet underneath the stage or put it off the side of the stage and isolate the cabinets. It's interesting to me that, that in a rock concert environment, that noise is now a problem. If you think about that, if you just think about it for a logical second, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's funny to me. If you were, told me 20 years ago that in the future, rock stars, were going to have a problem with how loud stuff is. <laughs> You'd be like, what? Yeah. 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 They can't have too much stage volume because it's too loud, you know? <laughs> and so it's interesting. And so what I say that is I've seen so many rock stars where like they isolate the cabinets and then they have in-ear monitors, you know, their in-ear monitors, which are fine, but because there's no sound on stage, they, they have to add, like, have you seen where they use like butt kickers? You guys know what those are? They're devices that vibrate. Uh, so they vibrate to the, to the music. You actually have to hook them up to an amplifier. And, um, so what happens is they'll put butt kickers in boxes like speaker boxes or on stage boxes so they can put them foot on them. Uh, so it vibrates. I've even seen pads now where somebody stands on a, like a, a box, a pad. So if you see somebody standing on a box, they're standing on basically something that vibrates their feet so that they can feel the, the music because there is no physical speakers moving air on stage. It's very interesting to me when I say interesting. I hope the word is explaining it correctly i'm not in i don't think it's cool <laughs> and i don't hate it i just find it interesting because it seems like such a crazy way to go um and uh, i'm curious to see if in 10 years all of this will be like oh remember we used to do that it was so silly and then they move back the old way or does it get worse you know what i mean um it's really really strange so i'm curious real quick uh, right now <laughs> reggie says i'm glad i can help with the alcoholism yeah you guys, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, as much as you guys super chat me for beer, I'm telling you right now, uh, I don't, I don't spend anything close to what you're giving to me for beer. <laughs> so, so you don't have to feel like you have to give me beer money. Cause uh, it's just not that expensive habit for me. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. Tony, Tony saying the energy of the stage volume is inspirational. 
it is strange to me um, because, you know, I don't play in a, you know, obviously in a large uh, stage environment. When I play, it's always in small places. And, uh, you know, we do keep stage volume relatively quiet. But it's strange to me, the idea that, like, no volume on stage. Just weird, weird. <laughs> that uh, uh, Michael's saying it's augmented reality in a way. I, I think so, too. It's just, it's like I said, it's an interesting question or an interesting topic because I, I never s thought of it so intensely until like i said i saw a scenario i think it was petrucci by the way where he was using empty mesa boogie this is what i remember empty mesa boogie 412s but underneath them were empty mesa boogie 212s and then there were butt kickers and that was vibrating the floor for him i think that's the guitar player i saw doing that and i think he had one in a, in a diamond plate box on his side of his um pedal board so he could put his foot on it and it would vibrate his foot um and, uh, and you see all kinds of crazy things. Think about this, you know, cause some of them can't get feedback cause they inner monitors. Some of them have like a one twelve cabinet, just something they can turn on and off like a foot switch with like a mute switch. So they can send uh, a volume to their guitar to help it feed back. So it's a really interesting, crazy rig. That's right. So, uh, Bill's out of here Bye, Bill. It was good talking to you last night, by the way, as well. I'll see you soon. Um, okay. Okay. And I'm going to switch back. Hold on real quick. I'm just jumping around and Alex has a question. It says tips to sell gear. That's not in or popular. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and it's one that I, I've always thought I understood, but I really learned to understand it in the last few years. Um, for sure, for sure. So, um, so basically, uh, the the heart of the question is, how do you sell a piece of gear that basically no one's looking for? That's really what the question is, right? Okay, tips to sell the gear that's not popular. In other words, nobody's looking for it. And so, here's the there's the tricks and tips I've I've used that works well. First of all, if you're if it's an, a piece of gear that's not popular but has a small following, you need to join their forum. So, uh, for instance, if you have an old, uh, a gear, I don't mean old vintage gear, but like an old piece of gear that maybe the company's not around anymore. Maybe that's Parker guitars, or maybe it's, you know, uh, Hamer guitars or stuff like that. I mean, you know, just older guitars that aren't just in popularity right now. You can join forums and groups and then, and then some groups though, unfortunately have a don't post for sale thing, but you know, sometimes they do. So you definitely want to do that because then you're going right to people who can appreciate what you have and have a better understanding of what it is. The other thing you can do is, because uh, otherwise, well, hold on, I'm trying not to, to, to mess up my train of thought. The biggest problem is when you have an a popular piece of gear, the only sometimes the way to sell it is really drop that price, and that's what you're trying to avoid to do. So the other thing you can do when you have an unpopular piece of gear that's not selling is to stop trying to sell it and try to trade it for something. Um, and that times it, it, that actually works out. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say you have a piece of gear. It's not very popular. If you could sell it, you'd get $500 for it, but nobody's looking for it. So you're going to have to take three. Now you could probably try to split that and say, okay, let's see if somebody will trade me something. If they can trade you something worth four, you know what I mean? Then, then you come out a little ahead than, than taking the loss at three and you might get a piece of gear. So I've learned for me, if I have a really unpopular piece of gear, I will try to trade it off. That's usually how I try to get rid of that kind of stuff is try to see what I can trade it for. 
Um, I just recently did that earlier this year. I had an unpopular piece of gear. It's just nobody was looking for it. And same thing, I traded off for a guitar that I wasn't really interested in, but the guitar was, the, the guitar, it was the color I didn't like. It was the model I'm not like. It was, it was nothing about the guitar was really what I was looking for, but I traded it because the guitar had a value point and then I sold the guitar. And I think when I did the math, I probably got about 90% of what I was hoping to get out of that piece of weird gear. And, um, you know what I mean? That worked. That worked well. So those are good suggestions. Um, and then somebody will have others too, because everybody's been kind of, kind of in that same scenario. Okay. So when else else fails, by the way, so, you know, it depends. Uh, it is, uh, is you can always donate it donating stuff. Cause I donate a good amount of stuff. You, you're never going to get a tax write-off on that because <laughs> usually they, they either ca they they cap you at your tax write-off. You don't make the income for the tax write-off. Um, uh, or in my experience, what happens with a lot of stuff when you donate it, I'm just telling you because I like I like to donate stuff. But what I find is most of the stuff I donate to, the people who want gear, this is a good side subject. I want to talk about this. This is a problem I've experienced and having the store for sure as a YouTuber, 10 times worse than the store. I thought it was bad when it was in the store. It's 10 times worse here. Um, if I want to donate something, uh, and, and help somebody that's, you know, usually the plan. And then of course, give that, that information to my accountant and then hopefully not have to pay taxes on this product that I bought or, or how I was compensated with it or whatever it was, you know, depending on if it was the store, or if it's a YouTuber or whatever the deal was, what I've learned is, is nobody really wants a guitar. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what I'm saying is when I've tried to donate guitars, no, the only people who want guitars are the people that are not really the correct charities. So um, they want everywhere. All the real charities want money. And I'm not here to argue whether that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that's a realistic thing that I always hear everybody say, oh, donate it. Why don't you just donate it? <laughs> and I have spent sometimes weeks uh, spending a couple hours a week on the phone with charities trying to donate something like a brand new unbox guitar. And so what I've done is I've given up. And most of the time I end up giving it to people who, uh, unfortunately they, there's, they're, they don't have the right tax qualifications, so I don't get to write it off, but you, at least you feel, you feel good because you're helping somebody's life. And, and really that's what I was trying to give away in the first place for I was trying to better somebody's life. Um, in fact, and the reason I'm bringing that up is I just had to this week, I was trying to donate 10 guitars. This is kind of a funny story. I was going to donate 10 guitars to a charity and the charity said, well, yeah, we'll take them. And then they sell them and then they take the money and then they, and I'm like, well, I could just sell them and give you the money too i was hoping to give you the guitars so it's not a bad thing it's just how you kind of it's kind of weird so but i just want to give you the option that you can donate it just be aware there's a lot of it's tough to donate stuff <laughs> so all right where are we at we're good on time let's do some more questions hold on i want to do an, some of you guys your pen questions are right there so let me look for some non-pens real quick uh, Gitbox says donate to schools. I do. Uh, and that's usually where donating to schools, believe it or not, uh, you won't get the tax write off because usually you're not donating to the schools. You're donating to a teacher at the school. That's what I usually donate to. There's probably a way to go through the schools, but schools, again, it's a uh, it box. Um, and every state's different. Every situation is different. So please, uh, don't, you know, I'm not blanketing anything. What I'm telling you is sometimes when you start a journey of the next three, four weeks is jumping over hoops and calling this person in to get this cuff and it has to get approved. You know what I mean? And you're just trying to hand off somebody, somebody with something value again, you know, not junky guitars. You know what I mean? Um, 
So there you go. I'm just letting you guys know. <laughs> this, this, all I want you to know is someone is is because uh, I ha I do donate on a regular basis, especially because of the channel now, just because some stuff comes in and you're like, hey, this company wanted us in it and they don't want it back. A lot of times I'll do a video and uh, this has happened a couple times now, not many, but a couple times now where I did the video and uh, the company was going to loan it to me to do the video. So I disclosed in the video that it was not a paid for promotion. In other words, the company loaned me a piece of gear. They didn't give it to me. And then the company's like, don't worry about it. You can keep it. And that got a little tricky because I'm like, well, okay. I kind of told everybody you loaned it to me and now you're saying I can keep it. It's a different, different policy uh, or different way I handle that. So I try to donate that off because in that way it comes out the same way. So, um, all right. I feel like I've been on that tangent too long. Let's go to something else. Uh, okay, hold on. You guys are, it jumped up. There's 750 of us, so the comments are moving a little faster. Okay. Uh, what I'm looking for, if you guys didn't hear earlier, if you want to ask a question, start the question with the question mark. Here you go. Here's one. James Taylor, thoughts on OEM uh, owned brands. Okay. Uh, are they good value compared to name brands? They manufacture, I'm particularly thinking of court, uh, and, and Fuji gen. Uh, I have a high opinion of OEM brands. And so, you know, OEM brands, uh, is, uh, is, I think it's a great idea. So, uh, to buy that makes total sense. Uh, those of us, I think that's old enough to remember generic. <laughs> this is a totally funny thing, right? When you think of the word generic, when I was a kid, I grew up when I was a little, little kid, I was born in California. When I was a little kid. I remember generic. When you walked in the, the grocery store, generic was white with a blue stripe and it would say generic. It would say generic peanut butter, generic toilet paper. It just said generic. It was funny, right? That's how they branded that. Now, when we think of generic, we think of like, uh, like Costco Kirkland or Sig Signature Select or whatever the store you go into has their own brand. And we call that generic, right? And that's basically what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that, you know, these companies, uh, OEMs are a company that makes a product for another company. And essentially you can buy the same product as a brand name product without the brand naming on it. In my experience with OEMs, it's actually a better deal than that because a lot of times, even though the OEM like Court will manufacture guitars for GNL and uh, PRS and Ibanez, and those are three companies that are actually made by Court guitars currently. And um, what I will say is that uh, sometimes when Court puts out their product, they actually improve it. They actually put a little better, better spin on it, more product quality or more components or upgrades because again, they got to fight. So not only is it like a slightly cheaper price point, it's a slightly higher quality and it's what it has in components. The only downside to generic OEMs, and I don't want to call them generic, but just so we know what we're talking about, is that one thing a brand, a brand gets a brand gets to mark itself up because it's a brand name. That is true. But also because it's a brand name, there's a value to the brand in not ruining that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so sometimes there is an advantage to buying a brand name because of that company has a value to their name being soiled. So, um, that's the upgrade. That's the not upgrade. That's the, the benefit to looking at brand names, but OEMs, I got nothing but good things to say about them, whether you go with Samic or, or, uh, or court. Um, the only thing I will tell you in this industry for a long time is this, a lot of companies say they're OEMs and they're not. So we know court is, but I've always been told by companies. I've had dozens of companies tell me like, you know, we really make this for this other company. And I'm like, really? And it's true. And then a lot of times it's not. So you got to do a little research. 
Okay, what do we got? We have Hanner Gunson. What's up, Hanner? Haven't talked to you in a while. He says, uh, as the market has changed a lot, yep, brick and mortars are vanishing. How do you see the future of gear sales? What happens in 15 years? So brick and mortars are, um, you know, this is the unfortunate part of business as a whole. Retail all by itself is under attack. It, it's losing to online, okay? That is that is the reality of it. You know, you go into the 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 brick and mortar stores. We're not even talking about music stores. We're just talking about brick and mortar retail. We already can tell uh, that you have problems, and it gets worse by the year. Um, brick and mortar mom and pops is what we're talking about. Brick and mortar stores. Well, you didn't say mom and pops, but I'm going to hit on the mom and pops. Brick and mortar mom and pops. Uh, when when people say they're vanishing, they are declining. That's for sure. They're adjusting to the current market. What's what's available there. They have to adapt, okay? And and that's so when you say, where do I see the future of sales? What happens in 15 years? Well, what's going to happen is some of those brick and mortars are going to adapt, okay? That's how it works. The most profitable year of our store was the last year of our store. So, you know, that was the highest profit the store would ever make. I have, I've had two moments in my life now that were tough. Uh, when I opened my store, that year was tough. Because the year I opened the store, um, the last day at my corporate job, because um, I made good money, I had a good position, I worked at a good company. It was a Fortune, you know, it was a Fortune 500 company. They were listed as one of the top 100 companies to, live, to work for, and I was in management there. And uh, it just so happened, <laughs> if you couldn't time this stuff any crazier, my last day at work was the day I got my W two for that year. And uh, I remember staring at it for what felt like an hour at my desk. It was probably five, 10 minutes. I five, 10 minutes. I stared at this W2 at my desk and I thought, what am I doing? This is insane. <laughs> right. Um, and that was a powerful moment for me. The reason I'm sharing that with you is because believe it or not, when I, when I decided to focus more on the YouTube side in repairs, cause I always did repairs. So I've have now, I have 15 years of repair experience in my, in my market and 15 years of clientele. So I stay very busy doing repair. And I realized, you know, when the YouTube thing was really taken off, uh, that I could do repair. I didn't need to physically be attached to a store to, to have the clientele for repair. And I did the same thing, by the way, when I was, when I decided it was time to, to, to focus on other things. Cause I could spend more time with my kids. That was a big part of this change was, you know, the store was 12 years of 60 hours a week six days a week. Uh, if the store's open, I was there. So, um, so anyways, the reason I'm telling you this story is that it was really tough for me because like I said, that was the most profitable, profitable year. So I was like, am I crazy? Because the store seems like it's trending in the right way. Here's why this isn't relevant to your question, Hannah, which is the store was most profitable because over the years of, cause the recession, not the internet, the internet was phase two of the problems for brick and mortars. The first one was the recession. The recession taught me real fast how to pivot. The business model in my store changed. It really focused on lessons. It really focused on services, things that the internet can't do. Um, you know, uh, I was at a point where uh, when I, when the YouTube channel, when you guys started watching my YouTube videos and the YouTube thing started going for me, it was great. I'm, I'm really happy about it really excited. But at that point, I was probably already two, three weeks behind on repairs on any given day. And one of the, the downfalls, of what, and I, with all due respect to everyone who was upset, I totally understand, which is I would make a video and put it out because I'd get up in the morning at like five in the morning. This is no joke. I get up at five in the morning 
and I would make a video that day and then I would go to work at eight o'clock and I'd start repairing because the store didn't even open till 11. And so I would repair from eight to 11 before the store even opened. And I'd get a nasty message on them on the machine at the store because the store wasn't open saying, oh, I saw you had time to make a video, but my guitar's not done. And I was like, uh, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. But I mean, that was my personal time. But I understand. You know what I mean? So my point to that story is uh, I learned that in the new future of the brick and mortars, they're going to have to they're going to have to analyze where the money comes from and focus on that. And here's what it is. The things that the Internet doesn't do well. It doesn't do lessons well. It doesn't do repairs well. It doesn't do use gear well because that's, again, something that's very hard. We buy a lot of used gear, but again, used gear will always be a mainstay for mom and pops. So, Hannah, to answer your question, where do I see this all in 15 years? I see all the mom and pops that are focused on making a customer experience. In other words, giving you what the internet can't give you, which is a, a moment, a time, an experience, um, giving you advice, information, teaching you. Um, giving you services on your instruments, and of course, uh, trying to keep product that's interesting and unique and not just the same old, same old. Um, it, 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 that's where the value is going to be. I think they'll survive it. That's what I think. So in 15 years, I think those companies will survive it. And I think a lot of them are not. So that's my sad assessment of the market. The ones that don't learn to adjust will die. And uh, I had to learn to adjust. I can tell you right now in 2008, uh, when the store, when the recession was really pounding, not only was the recession pounding, they decided it was time to dig up my street in front of my store. So for one year, they, that year of 2007, they, they ripped up my street. My street had 24,000 cars a day drive in front of my store. And that number was dropped in less than 30% of that number. So I had 30% of my normal traffic and a recession. And I just focused on what was making money. That's, that's what you do. You focus on what the customer wanted, focus on what the customer wanted. Okay. Uh, good question, Hanner. Thank you. Uh, let me do a non-super chat. How are we doing on time? We're doing good. And uh, and again, we're doing the um, Jerry Snow. Thanks, guys. I, I love that you're doing the, the question marks up front, man. Thank you. Jerry Snow says, tips on trust rod adjustment, how and when to do so. Um, Jerry, that's the first thing I want to tell you is don't have trust rod adjustment fear. Uh, everybody seems to fear the truss rod it is mostly because, uh, two reasons. I don't want to blame it on uh, music stores and repair guys because really it's, we all guilty. I'm guilty of it. Sometimes you're just lazy. Somebody's like, Hey, is it hard to address a truss rod? And you, I don't have time to assess where your comfort level is and <laughs> what your experience is. So sometimes it's like, Oh, don't stay away from it. But the reality is it's not a hard thing. Here's the thing about truss rod adjustments that are, that is tricky. If an instrument is built well, and I don't mean expensive, it's just built well. You can buy a guitar that's hundred bucks. It can be built well. If an instrument is built well, the, the biggest fear of a truss rod adjustment is stripping the truss rod, which is using the wrong Allen wrench or socket wrench on the truss rod. That's why truss rods, by the way, like the, uh, the, the socket size on a Gibson is brass. A lot of them are brass because again, um, they're designed so that if you strip them out, they can take it off and replaced. Um, but a truss rod, uh, the end of a truss rod can be replaced on most cases. But my point to the story is you use the right tool, 
make sure it's not hard to figure out, right? It's like four millimeter for imports is the majority of them uh, for truss rods uh, for the Allen wrench. Look up the specifications. Make sure that you keep the original truss rod to the guitar. If you're not, a, if you don't have a tool collection of repair tools and, and, and Allen wrenches, just make sure you have the original Allen wrench. Um, but use the right tool, stick it in there and make sure that it, if it's, if it's loose, you're going to strip it because when you put force on it, that's what's happening. As soon as you put force on it, as soon as it can't grab it, it actually strips it. When we say broken truss rods, we really should be saying stripped truss rods. I have seen a couple, I mean a couple, I mean, and I, and I know sometimes I get beat up for saying I, thousands of whatever, but it's the truth. I've, I've worked on thousands of guitars and I've seen a couple broken truss rods. Breaking truss rods in... Uh, you know, I don't know if they were drunk or what the deal was, but I mean, literally you have to turn that thing with the force to where you already know it's not going anymore. Stop. <laughs> right. So when you turn a truss rod, if it feels like it's done, it's done. There's no more left in there. You know, you keep going, something will give either the, the uh, tool you're using will strip out or the truss rod itself will strip or break. Other than that, uh, just adjust the truss rod and as you feel it needs, you know, like I said, it's a very easy thing to look up. If it needs some relief, loosen the truss rod. It's always going to be lefty, loosey, righty, tidy with truss rods. I don't care which side of the truss rod it's on. It's always righty, tidy, lefty, loosey. The only thing you have to worry about is dual action truss rods, which means, uh, it's righty, you know, at some point there's a center and then it goes the other way. This is again, if you, if you, um, you can Google this and find the information very easily. But again, uh, truss rods and and the other thing is go go slow. <laughs> just quarter turn at a time. Quarter turn, quarter turn. Make adjustments. Quarter turn, quarter turn. I'm not telling you that because I think you're going to ruin your guitar. It's just one thing that people have a trouble with adjustments on truss rods. Understanding is that a very little does a very lot. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that way. A very little does a very lot. I guess that's a silly way of saying it. But a little goes a long way. So uh, that's it, buddy. Don't don't be afraid of it. Just you know, use your, uh, use your, the right tool and just go a little bit at a time and you'll be fine. And then the second part of your question is when to do so. Um, well it's whenever the, the neck seems out of whack, if it's, you know, if it's backbone and your strings are laying on your fretboard, it's time to release the, relieve the truss rod. It, uh, if it's, uh, if it's bowed like a bow and arrow, <laughs> your action's high in the center in the middle. Um, there's, there's time to do that. So there you go. I hope that kind of gives you some insight on that. Um, Jonathan says, to add to my question, I should really, I should say really like the Mesa Boogie Distortion. Okay, so he, he's talking about he was looking for a small good tube amp, right? Or a new, first tube amp. And the price range is under $1,500. Again, prefers, uh, he prefers a smaller wattage and not to upset the wife terribly much. Oh, man, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you, Jonathan, I'm going to do a broken record on this. If you love Mesa Boogie and you want a great quiet amp and get the Mark V Mini. I've had the Mark V Mini now for three years since it came out. I still swear by that product uh, as an amp it's great it sounds great i can get i use it mostly because it's like the most expensive practice amp on the world in the world it gets so quiet i actually think it gets better quiet qu good sound quieter than some solid state amps you know there you go 1500 bucks i think they're like 16 new but you can get a i don't know if you can get a coupon for mesa boogie they don't like discounts you can Come up with another hundred bucks <laughs> or you can get it used. You can find them used for a thousand bucks. So something like that. Look at that. Uh, that's a good amp to look at for the Mesa Boogie sound uh, for quiet, for sure. So, you know, I had the dual rack or not dual rack, right? The mini rack. I had the mini rack and the recto verb. 
both of those were fantastic, but I just felt like over time the uh, the uh, Mark V was better fit for me because it had reverb and um, you know, and it just it seemed to have a better, tighter sound, quieter. But the Mini Rec as well would do great. Uh, it's a great little amp is uh, and and rectal verb, and you could pick those up all day for a thousand under a thousand used. So think about that. And I think new, I think both are under fifteen hundred dollars. So go for that. It's made in the USA. It's good quality. Uh, I like them both. I I can't say I regret selling my Rectoverb, um, uh, my 25. I don't know if I regret it because I, I got rid of it, not because I didn't love it, just because, you know, I can only have so many amplifiers. There's only so much room you can have stack this stuff up. Um, so uh, it's a good amp is basically what I'm trying to say. I only got rid of it because of just something had to go and that was on the list. Um, Mark Martinez says Ibanez TMB 100 or Marcus Miller V7 at twice the price. Um, uh, the only thing about the Marcus Miller V7, I've said this before, if you haven't picked one up, the neck is the smallest neck, uh, ever. I think it's one and a half inches wide at the nut instead of two inches. Uh, so that's what you have to consider. That's an easy question. It's not the twice the price. I mean, obviously, if you're, you know, financial thing is financial thing. If it's more expensive. If the Ibanez fits your price range and you're considering it, go with that. It's easy. It's something you think you want and it's in your price point. The Marcus Miller, what I will tell you is this, is I'm a Marcus Miller fan, obviously. Uh, the bases were pretty interesting. The neck's a little different. I don't know if, again, I don't know if you'll like it. It's something different. It's I don't know of another neck that's like it on the market. But more importantly... I don't know if it brings a better brand power than Ibn is. So if it's uh, twice the price, I just don't know if it's twice as good because, you know, I mean, it's I don't know if he brings twice as much brand power as Ibn is. And for quality wise, I didn't feel anything on those bases that made me think like, wow, how come other people aren't doing this quality? It kind of just felt like, yeah, this is good. This is what import bases are. They feel good. Uh, Tom just did a super chat for no reason. So let me go over to the non super chats. Uh, Lou Reed says, hi, Phil, which amp do you prefer the Freeman PT 20 or the JJ junior? Uh, I'm going to say the JJ junior and, uh, and the same thing. I, I think, uh, this is the debate I had forever with PT 20 versus my runt. I thought I liked my, my PT 20 distortion a little better than the runt. It was a little fatter, bassier, fuller, especially at the lower volumes, <laughs> but of course turned up and just also roared. Um, the runt had a clean channel and the PT didn't. And I, Wisconsin odds, which one should I do? Which one should I do? And then the JG, uh, the JJ junior came into my life. And what I will tell you is this, when I compare the PT 20 to the JJ junior distortion, I do like the PT to 20 better. However, that's it. It's only in the comparison. I don't ever play. I was playing the JJ junior before the live show. I, I never plug into it and go, Oh, where's my PT 20 at? <laughs> so, so let you know, Lou, what I'm up to is I'm keeping my JJ junior. So, you know, uh, I like it. I got rid of my run 20 for the JJ junior and I'm getting rid of my PT 20 as well. So, you know, and I actually have a PT 20. They're now back to being called the pink taco 20 again. So I have one of the limited ones or not limited, like limited edition, but the small, the few that there that are labeled PT 20, it doesn't say pink taco on it. I'm getting rid of that and I'm getting a dirty Shirley mini is what I've decided. So that way I have the best of both worlds. So that's where my, my plan is on that. So we'll have to let you, the question is, I just don't know how financially I pull it off, but I would really love to get the dirty Shirley mini and still have the PT and then get to maybe do some videos, a being them and stuff, maybe a bunch of the amps before I sell off the, the, the PT 20. I just trying to figure that out. If it doesn't line up, you know what I mean? Sometimes I can, you know, sometimes you can work that out. Um, so that was a good question. Thanks. 
Uh, next one was Joseph. Joseph says, putting Goto locking tuners on a carbon 11 hole pole, pole piece. Okay, wow. Let's read this again. Putting Goto locking tuners and carbon 11 pole piece single singles. Okay, so he's talking about single coil pickup with the 11 holes and 22 hole. Yeah, because that's two, 11 times two uh, in my Sterling silhouette. What do you think? So basically your question, Joseph, is what do I, well, first uh, I like locking tuners and I like Goto stuff. I like Goto bridges, Goto tuners. I'm a fan. Uh, Goto, of course, uh, you know, they I think they have lower versions and higher versions, but I've never picked up anything Goto and been like, uh, in fact, I used to be a Spurzel guy forever. In fact, my custom shop strap behind me, the copper one has Spurzels or Spurzel, uh, and, uh, what, whichever way you say it. And I always loved them, but mine's the old, mine's older and those are great, but the new ones, not so much. So really, to be honest with you, my favorite locking tuner without a doubt in the market is the ratios. They are, if I had the scratch, man, cause they're hefty. I, I would redo all my guitars with ratios and that's what all I would have is ratios. I would just do it that way. Be done with it. Cause the ratios feel so great. Um, and you're noticing like Steve eyes got them. I mean, you're noticing, I'm noticing every time I turn around more and more guitar players are going with the ratios in, in my favorite, but my, I will put it this way. My favorite three locking tuners are the ratios, hip shot and Goto. I'm always happy with those three. I never have the compulsion to take any of them off my guitars and go something else. So Goto tuners, definitely all the way. Great. I'm just not a big fan anymore of the Grovers anymore and the Spurzels, although they're fine. And I, like I said, I don't, I'm just telling you my favorite three. Um, the uh, carbon pickups, I've played a lot of carbon pickups in the past, and they're pretty cool. There's, uh, you know, I think they just got a lot of crap because they were a lot of, they were funky because they had the 11 holes, you know what I mean? Because they have two two slugs. Uh, so the idea is instead of putting a slug underneath each string, they put one on each side of the strings like that. And um, very cool stuff. Uh, a lot of people love the carbon pickups. Uh, some people hate them, always rip them out. I've never played a carbon pickup and went, oh, I don't get this. This is horrible. One thing that's cool about carbon is they started as a pickup company. So they should know a thing or two about pickups. Okay, how are we doing on time? We're doing good. We have a five-minute warning. So let me do a non-pin question. Uh, hold on. Ah, Gunner43 says, hey, Phil, do you play out? If so, what's your road rig? I don't have a road rig, but I do play out. Um, I play out, um, I, I don't want to say quite often, a couple times a month, uh, I get to play out with somebody or, or jam with somebody uh, on a stage or play. Um, this is something I, I, when I had the store, I never got to play out ever because I was always working. Always working. You know what I mean? I'd get off of work at nine o'clock at night on a weekday, you know, five days a week and then the weekends too. So it's just, there was no, there's no way, you know, and I had to be back at the store at eight in the morning. So, uh, that, that, that was a no go. Uh, since the, you know, since I've had more time with the YouTube thing, I, I literally get to play out more, but, uh, it's always quick and in and out. So, uh, the rig I use is easy. So when I play bass, I usually take my Eden preamp pedal and my bass and that's it. If I take a bass amp, I've been taking my Houston Kittner acoustic amp, um, just because I haven't found a really good bass amp that I like my, my Phil Jones was acting up. Uh, it's, it's fixed now. Um, but it's still, you know, I don't trust it. Uh, and, um, guitar wise, guitar wise, I take my, uh, my supersonic 22 everywhere I go for, for that stuff. Super easy. 
Now, what I've been messing with is my Thomas Blue Amp 1. I have one of those. There's a review coming. I'm That's what I'm doing is putting it through the paces. But I use the Supersonic 22. In fact, uh, everybody, when they see me with the Supersonic 22, they're always like, oh, you love that amp. To me, it's just a fender clean, fender distortion. I don't even take a foot switch. I don't take pedals. I just take that amp. It's light enough to where I can carry it, and I don't feel like I'm killing myself. It's loud enough to where... I, I'm just not in a situation where it's it's not going to work, and I don't have to think about anything. It's great. I just take the power cable, that amp, and a guitar cable, and then whatever guitar, and that's uh, that's the way to be. And uh, the main reason I do that, and I, I've said this before, <laughs> when you jam, when you go and do open jam nights or you go and play with a band for a song or two, my main habit that I've learned to get into is that when I'm done with it, whatever I'm done with on stage, as soon as I'm done, I take my amp off the stage with me, immediately that way in case like an hour down the, the line if i'm done and i want to leave and go home <laughs> i can leave i don't have to wait until the last band plays until or disrupt the band to rudely leave um so i try to stay and you know you always stay as long as you you, you can but sometimes you know you're just tired sometimes you're tired <laughs> but um that being said i do stay a lot of time i say that and then i end up staying because you know you try to you know you try to back the bands that you're with but um Let's see. Uh, let's see. We got two quick questions, and it's Andrew says, "Should I buy a do-it-myself do Tele kit from Solo Guitars or buy a Harley Benton Deluxe Tele Deluxe?" I want to do a do-it-yourself. It would be my first build, um, but don't want to waste money. Yes, uh, Andrew. You know that the the problem is is the question you have has two two potential possible answers. Of course, I think you should do a do-it-yourself kit. I think people should uh, learn to to learn the instrument. It's a fun. It's also a secondary fun hobby to work on your instruments, uh, or just to even something to do. However, you don't want to waste money, and a do-it-yourself kit is not going to have a value proposition in the world of of you know if you whatever you pay for it, you're not going to get much out of it because once you build it, no one's going to really want it. A Harley bin is not a real big by the way, not going to hold value really well either, but it's going to hold value better than do it yourself. Ken. So the answer to your question is real simple. If you want to build a guitar yourself and feel that experience and build something that feels a little bit more custom into you, I think you should go for that, but you do have to ditch the whole idea of value proposition. Uh, at this point you're buying, unlike when you buy a guitar, a pedal and you can resell it and get a portion of your money back, a do it yourself kit is not going to get a big portion of your money back. There you go. So, Think about that. So you just have to get past that. That's your only objection, believe it or not. So you it's not, do you do the do-it-yourself or the Harley Benton? It's, do you really care how much money you get if you sell this product later to try to recoup your money? The Harley Benton will recoup more money than do-it-yourself. That's the decision. Decide how much of the money aspect matters to you. Uh, I want to say Mikkel, Mikkel Nielsen, Nielsen, Nielsen. I'm saying Mikkel. I think it's Mikkel. I'm hoping it's, I hope I'm right. Says, honestly, what do you think? <laughs> okay. <laughs> My favorite thing, by the way, that you guys do to me when you meet me in person is you say, hey, what do you really think? <laughs> Everybody does that to me. What do you really think of this thing? Or what do you really think of that thing? I always think that's funny. I love it that you guys do that to me. Uh, uh, honestly, what do you think of the titanium saddles versus steel saddles on the Ibanez AZ Prestige versus premium? Uh, I have an opinion, but I want to know yours. Um, you know, what's fine is, is, is it's a tougher question to answer than you think. And here's why. I have two Ibanez Prestige AZ guitars. I have a red one uh, and I have the Sunburst one. And I have one uh, Ibanez Premium guitar. 
so I and I bought uh, I bought the the first one I bought was the red one, and the second one I got was the uh, the sunburst one. The reason why I say it's harder than harder to say is I like my red prestige more than the other two. That's my favorite one. Uh, it just it's magical. It plays great. It sounds great. It's effortless. There's just something about it. Uh, that I like and uh, the bridge, everything about it's fantastic, right? It's just good. Um, the premium feels really good, but I, like I said in the video, the bridge is not very good. And I know it's that particular bridge, not the model, because the Charvel has that bridge. I think my, uh, I have two other guitars that have that bridge. I don't want to say what they are because I haven't reviewed them yet. And um, they all have that same bridge and the other ones don't have the scene, the creakiness that this one has. So I got to, I got to lubricate that bridge. Um, but that being said, uh, I could say in the comparison of my sunburst, the, the guitars I did in that video, I say that the bridges aren't even a big difference, but the red one, the bridge feels even better. So I'm not a big, I, I don't care is basically what I'm saying. The titanium saddles versus steel saddles. I just don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't know. Um, there's supposed to be a sound difference and there is a sound difference between those two guitars. But again, the, uh, prestige sounded brighter and that could be attributed to the bridge however the red prestige doesn't sound brighter and it has the same bridge so let's see what i'm saying it gets a little tricky at this point um i think the titanium saddles seem like a good idea because they're going to last forever but ultimately as horrible as it sounds when i say it i don't carry the way it's not a cop-out because what i'm really saying is is that the titanium does not hold enough of value to me to prefer it over the other bridge that's basically what I'm getting at. The bridges are fine. I could swap them out intermittently. The only thing I will say about the titanium bridges on the prestiges is they seem better put together and built. Um, somebody even said, hey, so you know they're the same bridge. And they're not because they're different blocks. They're different saddles. The only thing that's the same is the plate. And at that point, I mean, yeah, they have the same plate. But the, the parts that matter, the saddles and the blocks are different. So um, I, like the, I like the titanium a little bit more, but I don't prefer it to the point where I would pay for it. If it was an option, if I was buying one aftermarket. Okay, on that note, let's do, how are we doing? Perfect. I got time for one last question before we hit the weekend. And I want to say how much I really like the question marks at the beginning now, guys. I hope this is going to be cool from now, from now on. Uh, uh, CT... X UK says, what do you think of building a two amp a kit wire to wire stuff? Uh, now that I've, I've done it. So, you know, I'm doing two, <laughs> I did the class and I did one independently. Um, I can, I'm going to say I'm addicted to it, but man, it's a really fun experience. I can really see why people get into this. Um, doing amp stuff is totally different doing the gu guitar stuff. Uh, not only for the safety factor of it, cause it's a little more dangerous, obviously, or it's dangerous. I should put it this way. Guitar parts, not dangerous, but this is dangerous. Um, uh, it's really, it's really has the same kind of, uh, I was really shocked that building an amp has the same therapeutic feeling to me that working on guitars. When I work on amps or guitars, I get really kind of melancholy and it kind of just quiet down, like almost like I'm meditating and I just work. And, uh, given that I like, I'm, ch I chat a lot and I talk a lot and I'm kind of animated. It's really how I recharge my batteries and, uh, really enjoy it. I highly, highly recommend it. But like I said, I can't go into detail on it. Not because of any reason, just because my video that we'll talk about that will really outline some of the things I I've noticed with it and what I like about it. Um, uh, and then Raymond says, well, and he's got a super chat. I just want to make sure we don't miss him. 
and here he is. Okay, thank you, buddy. Uh, it says, ever played pedals into a PC amp sim? Thoughts? I have. I have done that. Um, uh, playing pedals into digital type formats like a, like an amp sim and stuff. Um, and to me, it, it didn't sound the same as a tube amp. And uh, it worked. You know, actually, the better I got, I'm gonna put it the best way. Um, certain pedals, like let's say the BOD and stuff, pedals that are higher gain, pedals that are effects or choruses or flangers or phasers. I, I when I plugged into the uh, amp sim, I thought they were fine, they were great. But when you're trying to use like a, a boost pedals and light overdrives, uh, some of the things that work really delicately with a tube amp, I just feel like they weren't there. It felt like they were just layering on top of the uh, amp sim. So it was not bad, but not my preference by any means. I definitely would prefer some of those really. Uh, for lack of a better term, transparent overdrives, like the lower overdrives and stuff. Uh, I would rather prefer them with a, uh, a tube amp. And then I got another one that Scott Brown. I missed. Hold on. Let me make sure. Oh, looks like I missed a couple. Um, Grumpy Mike just did a super chat for no reason. Scott Brown says, I'm looking for a Gibson SG new or used with a neck that is not chunky. I'm not too picky. Otherwise any model year I should be looking at or avoiding i enjoy my strat reverend and check your necks yeah just go with anything with the 60s neck profile that's the slim taper profile um they'll be pretty pretty thin um there's gonna be very very few very few exceptions to that but just trust me go with anything that's got the slim tapered neck profile which is gonna be the 60s neck look for that so that's what I have. If anything, I think my SG next is just a little too thin. And uh, and uh, Ralph's SG, which has the same type of neck, is slightly thicker. But even then, it's just not a thick neck. So you'll be fine. Just stay away from that. And on the SGs, it gets really crazy because the necks get real chunky and real thin. They go to pretty extremes. There's le Gibson's that too, but the, but the SGs are even more so. All right. On that note, I think we're going to call it. It's an hour and 16 minutes in. So how long we try to go to... Try to do an hour, but if you know, sometimes we go into bonus round, and uh, and on that note, I'm just make sure there's nothing else. I didn't want to miss another super chat or anything else that that's going that way. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I really appreciate you guys joining me. And then, real quick, I want to do a quick shout out. If you guys know, I always do this, or at least I always try to do this. Uh, do a quick shout out to the patrons that support the channel. And it's the live support crew. It goes like this it's F Crew, James Biles, Lawrence Petros, Rob Martha, David Foy, Blake Bean, Derek Miller, Gene Graham, Michael Mooney, Alasdar McLeod, Bruce Collins, Andy Dennis, Gary Phillips, Sam Oram, Chief Squatch, music guitarist Bob Crosley. Todd Flowers, Tim Farnsworth, Zesty Basil Pizza, Greg Peterson, Dennis Prescott, Greg Park, Craig Parker, not Greg, Craig, Craig Parker, Lonnie Hoke, Joseph McCarthy, Anthony Desposito, Brian Stewart, Kermit Jackson, Tim Camacho, Paul Ostreich, Michael Lindner, Jonathan Pickering, Bob Pickwode, Louis and Alvaro from Pedal Pal Effects, Chris at the Guitar Pit, and Jeff Howes, BB Ninja, Zachary Rowe, Justin Mabe, and Jeff Thompson. Jeff Howes was the winner of. Uh, there was a, uh, we did a contest where I gave away a pedal, uh, last month. There was an internal, uh, there was also a same kind of contest for the patrons only. Jeff was the winner of the patron only, uh, contest. We'll do announcements for this month, uh, next week for the, uh, the contest for, for the, the, the channel. I was going to do it last week, but the internet dropped and I wasn't prepared this week. Um, because of that threw me off. So we'll do that next weekend. And as always guys, I want to thank you so much for joining me. That was a lot of you today and you guys have an amazing weekend and until next week uh thank you for your time and know your gear